welcome to TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected TestSphere cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Hello and welcome to episode seven of TestSphere Roulette, the podcast where my, my guests will talk about random test, testing topics based on the TestSphere card deck and the expansion pack. I have two more testing superstars who really don't need any introduction with me today, um, but I will let them introduce themselves anyway, starting with Baron. Good uh, day, everyone. My name is Baron. Um, I'm currently working from a Spanish coffee bar, so I hope the background noise stays okay. Um, I've been in testing for um, about 10 years now. I was shocked to learn that number. Um, but I'm currently working for a startup that is currently scaling up, which is quite exciting. Um, we This week, we decided to work into teams, so we split everyone up. And this was a small stone that eventually became an avalanche. And lots of questions and uh, challenges came out, which is very exciting. Uh, but that's the kind of stuff I'm working on right now. And I'm very happy to be here on the Dust Fear of That podcast. Um, I've heard a couple of episodes and people always seem to have genuine fun. So I'm looking to have some of my own. Very good to be here. And of course, the one thing you've not mentioned, Baron, is is test fear is is partly your idea to start with. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So you may have a slight advantage when we come to discuss the cards, but we'll see. Um, and uh, my other guest, Ben. Hello. Yes, I'm Ben Doan, also known as the Full Snack Tester. Um, I've now been in testing for some nine years, um, and I've tested everything from enterprise software that needed many different bits of lab kit and hypervisors to run through to web apps and APIs, and, and now I'm testing... Um, artificial intelligence and related loveliness at um the 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 wonder that is ada health and um very lucky to be working with some great testers there and i'm very excited i've also been listening to some of the past episodes but i'm yeah uh, an honor to be here with you today baron test fear royalty (laughs) indeed well i think you're both royalty in your own in your own rights um Ben, I think you've done a lot with the the, the the tester of the day stuff. I think we should be shouting about that. So, yeah, absolutely. I think both of you have given a lot in the last 12 months to this industry and, and longer. So that's part of the reason why I wanted you on for the December special. So thank you both for being here. Um, okay. So I'll, the way it goes then is I'll spin the wheel and um, we will we'll speak about a card, talk about the card in whatever way it takes us. Um, and then when conversation dries up, we'll move on to the next one. So are we ready for the first spin of the wheel? Let's do it. Yes. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel now. And it stopped on a patterns card, uh, strangling patterns. Approach, used to decouple blocks of functionality out of big clustered systems into smaller services to reduce complexity. Once rebuilt, have both systems running parallel, both get the same input, monitor and compare their output over time. 
If it matches, you've strangled successfully. Yeah, this is very interesting. Um, I've, I've had some limited experience of the classic um, let's start with uh, this monolith we have and move towards microservices. I quite like this idea, this strangle pattern, send both, you know, like, I guess I have some questions rather than any experience. And my question is, yeah, how do we make sure that while we're running both things in parallel, we're not impacting the user experience? And I can see there's some good potential here for it being expensive to run or having performance impact. Um, Yeah. There's some interesting um, things to test that this throws up as a pattern, which is exciting. It is. It is. I I must confess that I've used this pattern extensively a couple of years ago when I was a product owner for a team. And I remember one instance. So we were actually doing this strangler pattern where we had a big monolith in a healthcare project. And the invoicing module of that monolith, we were rebuilding in a newer, more modern system and, and some type of microservice. We were building this in parallel. And our oracle of what should it do and uh, our test results should match the word was the old monolith results. So we were building it in parallel. We were giving the same inputs into both systems. And we were monitoring the outputs of both systems. And if those matched completely, then we knew that we had strangled them successfully, we could swap it out. And I remember one uh, instance where uh, I was running around the park. I was just running, uh, not thinking of work at all. And I get a phone call from one of the architects saying, okay, we've got a bit of an issue. Um, we were running our microservice, our new microservice in production. We were feeding it the same things, but we noticed that it's impacting the the rest of the system running on the same service. So, big issue. Uh, and I said, okay, so what do we do? What's the what, what's the go-to plan? And he said, okay, since we're using the strangler pattern, we just flip the switch off. We stop feeding it any data anymore because we can rely on the old system still. And we'll fix this next week. Just enjoy the rest of your run. We've got this covered. We just wanted to inform you that we have this, which was so incredible to know that we just flip a switch. We have a massive bug in production, but we just flip the switch and it's fine. We will solve this later. And I mean, that sounds so good. <laughs> All the testing effort that we could do to make sure nothing of this stuff happens, but it was nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love that as a pattern, but I have nothing else to add because that sounds fantastic. Yeah, I should. Um, I'm wondering now how I could use this more. Um, so I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna learn from this one, but I don't have any other clever stories to tell. So let me let me read a bit more of the card. Um, so legacy systems are often built in such an overly complex way that you can't begin to understand all the dependencies. Strangling tries to tackle this pattern. Um, identifying domains that fit together, such as invoicing or customer management, try to rebuild and protect these domain contexts in separate systems. This is actually something that we've been trying to do in 
my current and in previous roles where we've 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 had this massive monolithic system and actually we're realizing that you know it's like trying to turn a juggernaut trying to get a release out and actually let's let's try and break it down into smaller parts and the idea of running things in parallel to try and see that in action is not something that we've done so this is definitely something we could take away and try and and see how we can we can make that work um going forward but yeah it's um it's a good it's an interesting concept just uh, i've not got much experience of it myself so it is and it, it's very um atypical i guess so the context of where you can use it is limited but when you can it's pretty powerful thanks to my experience cool okay um well i think uh it's it's probably pointing at we can move on to the next one so um let me let me see if uh, we can spin the wheel again. Are you are you guys happy to move on? Yeah. Cool. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel now. Okay, it's landed on a pink one. Uh, heuristics, peer reviews. Strategic heuristic, a team member makes code changes. Right after this, a different team member reviews the code and gives feedback. I'm sure we've got lots to talk about this one. Yeah, I absolutely love this one. Um, and I've used it pretty much everywhere I've ever been for everything. So um, the two different kinds of peer reviews, um, like when you do pairing with people, you also have like a continuous peer review. And if you're doing testing, especially if you're doing modeling or test analysis, that continuous peer review is super powerful. Um, using two brains instead of one, whether it's asynchronously through reviewing a task that someone else has attempted to complete or doing it real time um, adds a huge amount of value. Um, it's also a way that I've been able to, we, in kind of the agile testing, um, and, and modern agile teams where you're, you're doing something like scrum, where your developers are completing tickets. Um, often what I found is that by the time the code is merged, um, you know, the developers are already moving on to the next thing. They're already discussing the next topic, trying to integrate the next feature. As testers, if we can get into those peer reviews and pull down the code in the branch and run it locally and um, look at the changes that are being made, review them against the story, get in and test at that PR stage, then it's super powerful because it really helps us prevent bugs getting in to later parts of the system and we can learn more as we go along. I think it's a a very critical um, like point that we can get involved. I've definitely found that um, many, many times over. Um, and I would definitely recommend if you don't already know how to read code, ask your developers to walk you through the logic of what they've done even even then just getting the the person who made the code or i mean peer review can be used, done for anything but if it is a code review just getting them to walk you through what they've done and explain what they've done 
sometimes they find problems with their own things as they're walking you through it. So don't feel you can't get involved, even if you don't feel confident reading code yet. It's a great learning opportunity all round. I was just going to say, I mean, yeah, I'd agree with the point there about the test- testers in code reviews. I think um, it was how I how I sort of, um, I went from developer to tester when I first come into testing and it was one of those things where i was like but why are the testers not involved in code reviews even just sitting there and asking questions like just tell me how that works can you can you just go through that again and they suddenly go oh yeah that's 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 not working how i intended it to Uh, and just having those just being that other person like rubber ducking but having an actual person sitting there with you um and it makes such a difference to you as a tester as well because you learn the context of how the code's meant to work and it can, you mean you can go away and you can you, you have ideas on your testing and it just helps build up that that all round knowledge of, of how it works. So yeah, that was just just the only point I was going to add. Yeah, just like with both of you, I've been a big fan of peer reviews, uh, but I think the past year my understanding of them and just how crucial they are to a business has uh, evolved. So I've, I've started at this startup phase, or startup company, and they hired me specifically first as a tester, but with the goal of we need to scale. We need, we're going to hire twice, maybe thrice as many developers as we have right now, and we need to figure out how we can scale that stuff. And peer reviews have been crucial in this, not just on the code level or for pull requests or something, but just having this conversation with each other, the different developers, different other roles, having conversations with each other and giving feedback on each other's work, it has been crucial um, because it makes the company more humane, more, um, yeah, people start working together, they share knowledge, they figure out how they want to work with each other. And before that, people were coding on their islands. You had one person saying, hey, build us this, then they would build it, then they would push it to production, and nobody else would know, would be any wiser of it. We now see that we are building this code a bit, but we are doing a whole lot more uh, peer reviews and giving each other feedback. And I'm really, really hoping that very soon, this way of working and this way of cooperating with each other and being very open of what we expect from each other, what we expect from the quality of work that we just will push out, we get faster and faster. And that's the end game for the scaling effort, right? But theory is absolutely crucial to us. Yeah, I, I guess one thing that sort of, I always have a question on this, um, is around you know how peer reviews are done. So, I mean, obviously, the, the most obvious thing is if you can sit next to someone and do a peer review, then that's you know that's the perfect scenario. Um, I've also experienced the past of using tools like Code Collaborator from SmartBear, where the code submitted and then you have to go and review it in your own time. You add comments and then then the, the developers go back and fix it. Is it is is there a you know is it is there an obvious way of doing it going forward that's the, the most successful, or is it just a combination of all the all the different ways of doing it? So. In my experience, the most common that I've used is um, GitHub, um, where you've got merge requests or pull requests, and you're doing an asynchronous kind of commenting line by line on the artifact on the code. Uh, 
when it's a code review. Um, but I've also seen that very naturally, if that gets too complicated or there is a higher level concept where um, you can't get it across easily on a line by line basis, then speaking to people now we're in i'm in a very remote world and i have been for quite a long time so that that is a call that is a that that is a um you know a face-to-face video call where you share a screen or do some kind of um ide code with me where you follow along in the code and you discuss things and you kind of work it out um sometimes a small amount of bringing stuff into a slack chat because you've posted a please look at my pr and then you end it with comments that are outside of the tool and that can work but sometimes it's messy uh also what i would say is don't forget you can do peer review on anything it does not have to just be code and it does not have to just be with a tool um like the concept of review is golden everywhere um but crucially and this is where peer review comes in is like this is not about show it to the senior person this is not about show it to your manager this is about some other person you are working closely with um taking a look and i mean they, they could be somewhat distant or whatever but this is this is that peer level of you know you're not just saying, oh, there's a better way you could do this or you've done this wrong. It's not about finding bugs. It's about learning, making suggestions, and together kind of producing a better final outcome. And it's about adding a cycle in there. Like one of the things I've really learned is that introducing the idea of peer review helps you remember that once you think you're done, you're not done, you've still got a couple of cycles of thinking left before it's like done and good enough. And without that point to have the peer review, it's too easy to think that you're already finished, even though there's probably some tidying up to do. There's probably some more thinking, some more testing to do. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I think that's a, that's a really good point, Ben. And it is, it's about everything. Everything within the process can be reviewed, should be reviewed in some form. Um, I think, you know, it, from from documentation, you know, testing you know unit tests automated frameworks um everything can be communicated talked about reviewed um shared between the team to make sure that you know we're all on the same page and we're all collaboratively moving in the right direction so yes totally agree what i wanted to add um how to give uh feedback in a remote world Uh, i just want to give a huge shout out to loom which is an add-on has improved my life considerably. If I find a bug or anything, if I just have a question, I record myself. You can see me as I question the system, and it's just small snippets of what I am doing. Then I send it to them, like, hey, check this video, and they can comment on the videos, and I'm like, that's wonderful. And I get so much feedback, and it's it's like Netflix for bug or for, for bugs or for e-reviews or whatever. You can just, it's an async way of giving videos to get feedback, which is very cool. Okay, what was that plugin again? I'll, I'll make a point of putting it in the show notes. Loom, L-O-O-M. Hello. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that, but I will uh, definitely investigate that as well. It sounds a, sounds a useful tool. Brilliant. Yeah, so even, even for uh, our product owners use it, our designers use it. If they have a cool new idea of something, 
they will just um, record their screen, record their face, record their voice, and explain what they are saying. And they can they can put this video in the gyro ticket or whatever. And it's such it's a much more powerful way of transmitting what you want to say. Yeah. What you want to communicate. Okay, brilliant. Now I will investigate that. Uh, any more comments on this card before we move on to the next one? Oh, I, I love this one so much I could talk forever, but let's I, I want another card as well. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one then. I'm gonna spin the wheel again. Okay, stopped on a quality aspect, accessibility, usability aspect, testing for the elderly, the impaired, the drunk, and the very young. Humans are diverse, the blind person, the arthritic, the novice. How do you know your software is accessible to them? Super interesting card, very important card. And I know there's a lot of people in the testing community who are, who are very afraid of this, um, but I myself, I have not really gotten much into it. I think the most I've been into it uh, is the colorblind mode stuff. And if we get error messages that are read, some people may not be even very, very well, all this kind of stuff. But it's very limited, I'm afraid. It's more of a, my, my story is mostly theoretical, I guess. Because when I do risk storming workshops, I often have the product under test, which is kind of uh, fictional, but it's a, it's a Lando mirror. I'm not sure exactly what those were called. Virtually, it's a web shop where you create outfits. So the, the function, the fictional functionality is uh, create outfits in the web shop. So you piece together your t-shirt, your pants, or whatever. And then you project those outfits on your bottom. And it would calculate your size and it would show you some pictures of this is how it would look on you. And then you can decide to buy it or not. And what people often see as risks is uh, how do you deal with people who have different types of bodies, different kinds of uh, types of color, uh, people who are in wheelchairs, people who are in any kind of shapes and forms and everything. And it's very interesting to see how they would deal testing this some people came up with uh, having cardboard cutouts of many different shapes of bodies and everything in somewhere in your in your company, and then just go around with your phone and projecting the clothes on those different types of cardboards. So that that would be very cool. I, I'd love to see that, but it's purely theoretical, I'm afraid. Yeah. So so this is the one where. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage, and I'll tell you why, and that is because for a number of years now, I have been working almost exclusively on um, parts of the system that have no front end. So APIs, libraries, um, all these different things that, while I'm sure there are clever ways to think about accessibility within these contexts, um, generally there is whole other teams who are applying the UI UX side of things that have accessibility in mind. Um, having said that, that makes this a great opportunity for us to try and have a think about who we can give a shout out to in terms of accessibility um, out there. So 
Um, I've watched some great stuff from Erin Hess, who has done talks on accessibility. Um, Jenny Bramble. I may have to say that name again. If I, if I got her name wrong, I do apologize, Jenny. Um, but they've done talks um, in, in for, for test bashes. They've done, uh, we can maybe get some links to them in the show notes. Um, there's loads of other good people out AD, there. AD Stokes well. is the first name. AD Stokes, of course. Um, Stokes, Jared. Yeah, there's great Parker. people. Matt Parker as well, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there are there are loads of people that, I mean, we're not, we're not going to remember everyone, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, accessibility, uh, I think the example talks about the elderly and, and the drunk and stuff like that. I mean, there is a there is a, an account on Twitter called Drunk Testing or something like that where you, you can send him, send the person websites and stuff, and he does his own testing, uh, which I'm not encouraging. It's not, it's not. He doesn't either. <laughs> he wrote a blog post how uh, getting drunk for work is not a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, he's now testing with his mom. So he sits next to his mom and they test together, which is also a form of accessibility. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And it was an example that I've talked through a few times in work, Workspace, uh, the sort of for the elderly example. Um, Whereas a lot of our websites, you know, we, we, we try and make them as fast and as performant as possible. There are some people that want things to be slower um, and don't want too many things that move too quickly. I mean, my, my grand's one, you know, she wants a, a documented list of instructions when she's going to a website and she wants time to process stuff. She doesn't want things to time out if she's not typing quick enough. And it, sometimes it's it's having the ability to turn those things off. So if you do have a timeout on your website, like the ticket site, when you've got, as soon as you go in to book tickets, you've then got seven minutes to to to, to complete your details. Or well, for some people, that creates anxiety, and they just go, you know, oh, I'm not going to get it completed in time. Um, so yeah, there's that aspect as well. And then one thing that I'm a real advocate for is the whole neurodiversity side of things. And, and that plays into accessibility as well. So websites and UIs, are they autism friendly? Are they, you know, for people with dyslexia, uh, is, is there ways of making the text easier to read or, you know, increasing the script, the font size? And what does that do to the overall website? So there's all this this stuff. I mean, accessibility is a massive topic. And actually, Ben, I think we're, we're giving a, uh, a workshop at... So some of my easier team are giving you a workshop in the next few weeks, aren't we, uh, on on accessibility? Uh, so uh, yes, please. It's, it's something we're all very passionate about trying to improve um, going yeah. forward. And, and there's some great tools as well, things like Axe and um, a, a Lighthouse and things like that that you can plug in through Chrome that can give you reports on accessibility aspects. Yeah, I, and I think there's a few related things. Like if we take it a little bit broader. I think one thing that's really important is that um, accessibility isn't just about WCAG. Like, it's more than that. Like, it isn't just about the web rules on on how websites have to be accessible, although that is super important and it shouldn't be overlooked. But, like, anything you have at different parts of your process, I guess it comes all the way back to the lovely discussion about quality and what, you know, how you measure that. But it's like any way that your product is experienced should be accessible. Um, and yeah, not all of that can be tested for in a tool. So I guess it's about like the one thing I would advocate for among anything else is 
be challenging of accessibility in the ideas as soon as you can before those designs get to needing testing with an axe or a wave or a lighthouse. Um, like, like how can we make things more usable to be more accessible? Um, it's also one thing that, um, and I won't go into too many details or give too much away, but it's like accessibility of health um is is a very big thing that's kind of related to the domain i'm in at the moment and uh related to that like accessibility of products that use ai is a big topic um and that's something that i think is a something that is worthy of much more exploration i don't have clever inspirational things to talk about in relation to that at the moment but i hope that we get there i hope that there's more going to be done about accessibility beyond web um, as we move towards different devices and different ways of interacting with products. There is an agency, or at least one of its problems more, that uh, hires people with disabilities or disabilities. Um, and you can hire them, send them your app, or, or whatever software, and then they get tested by actual people who struggle with certain things. And the feedback there, I'm, I'm sure, is very, very interesting to get off any type of software that you're building. Yeah. I've yet to, uh, <laughs> to employ them myself, but uh, I'm sure it's very handy. We, we use such an agency for some of our accessibility work uh, where they have people with different disabilities uh, and conditions to actually do the testing, someone who's blind, someone who's physically disabled, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely. And it does give you that real, real user feedback of where it fits. But, I mean, the other aspect of that is everybody has – their own way of doing things, their own way of viewing things. Everyone sees things in different ways and everyone can, can test for accessibility. You know, just tabbing with a keyboard or using using buttons on the keyboard rather than using a mouse. Um, turn a screen reader on, see see what where the text gets read, et cetera, et cetera. Does it make sense? These are all really simple techniques, but absolutely getting those real real users that have different conditions to to help you improve the way your 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 like you say your app or your website or anything else that has some kind of ui that needs needs support there's definitely lots of options out there so i have a question for you rather than an opinion my question for you is do you think that um one way the industry needs to improve in order to make accessibility better and i'm making an assumption there that accessibility isn't as good already as it should be um is that we need to be more like broad in the diversity of people we hire into our companies. We need to do a better job of being inclusive of a much wider range of people with different abilities and neurodiversity and all these different things so that they can be involved in designing these products, um, not just outsourced as an agency, but having a more diverse workplace to actually build these things for the future. Absolutely, can only agree with that. I think everyone can agree with that. It's a challenge, but the merits are also very big. Um, and it doesn't stop with hiring more women, because yeah, he's, he's currently very male-focused, let's say, exchanging, 
it's changing little by little. Um, but yeah, the, there's a whole lot of diversity that we're still missing. I can only agree with that. Yeah, Absolutely, I would agree. I would agree, and and it, it's it's it comes down to yeah, you need to have a diverse range of people that think and think and see things in different ways across the board. Um, because if you have a, have a team of everyone being the same and thinking in the same way, then the perspective and 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 the way you test stuff will be single single track, single focus. Whereas if you spread it out a bit and and get people thinking and looking at things from a different perspective, you will find different issues. And and that's the only way we can really prove that we're covering our full user base. I, I'm going to throw it out there as well because it's related, and this is more of a challenge to anyone listening. And that is remember to consider the um quality in general but especially the accessibility of internal tools where sometimes it's easy to forget that we as a company we as a internal user base also need to be um thinking about these things to make sure our internal tools are accessible equally to our external products because otherwise we can't create an environment where that diverse group of people can come and work for us yeah, I would agree. As I say, any any interface, any interface that people are going to be able to see and use, we need to be thinking about some form of accessibility to it. Good. Just very meta. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, that's that's the end of the three cards. Does any of you have anything else you wanted to add on any of the topics we've covered? Go, going back to my absolute favorite topic just for one moment about peer review. <laughs> and I, I, I just wanted to say, remember to use these opportunities as a way to recognize things that go well and are positive and were nice and things you've learned as well. Like these are not just places to catch problems. These are also opportunities to celebrate things you liked or things you learned. And that goes a big way to making this a friendly process rather than a something you dread throwing your stuff out there to be reviewed like it has to be a complete range of feedback not only constructive and negative and catching people out yeah very good point cool um okay well given it's the end of 2021 uh do any of you have any plans for 2022 any talks any Anything you want to plug? Starting with you, Baron. Oh, I'm, I'm a horrible planner these days. <laughs> two years where everything that you planned was just cancelled. I, I think I just gave up on it. People will ask me, what are you doing next week? And I'll say, I'm going to the south of Spain. But don't ask me where exactly. I haven't <laughs> decided yet. <laughs> I haven't been planning much. And I, and I plan on doing exactly that. Fair play. Um, okay, thanks, Baron. And anything for you, Ben? Any any plans for twenty twenty two? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I never miss an opportunity to plug Test of the Day, so I'm going to continue with Test of the Day into twenty twenty two. I am not going to make any great promises about how that will develop, although I am always thinking of ideas how to push that forward. Um, the other thing that I've already started that I hope to pick up on more um, in 2022 is um, testing for devs. So this is uh, an idea that builds on some kind of similar stuff to the maker tester that you've thrown out there, Simon, but with a slightly different twist. 
and it's about trying to make uh, a, a, make it easier for the development compu- community and the tester community to come together and learn things together from each other um, to make it kind of a, a safer space for developers to come and join testers to learn about testing, uh, but also a, a safer space for testers to learn from developers about testing and building software. So really kind of from both ends, trying to bring those communities together in a friendly way and bust some myths mm. while we're doing it. It's uh, a really good idea. Um, I, I'd um, recommend you, you you checking out the one of the later A-B testing podcast episodes where Alan Page and Brent Jensen talk about making the modern testing principles more dev-focused as well. So um, be worth checking that out. Uh, I'm sure they'd, they'd be happy to chat about stuff as well if you had ideas. Um, okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry, go on, Ben. I was just thinking. I just was uh, listening to Ben. I was thinking, I do have some plans, actually. <laughs> it might not be set in stone. But, um, yeah, bringing devs and testers together is also something that I want to achieve with Risk Storm, right? Risk Storming has gone online, and it kind of needs some more work. But I think I found some developers who are willing to do what I need them to do uh, to make it more interactive and to hopefully get developers more into it as well. Uh, but going to developer conferences like Socrates is a very nice place to find developers who are also interested in testing and who know that they need to be challenged in this. But if you do have something that you want to um, introduce there, that's a very good place to start. Mm, yes, I yes. can definitely recommend uh, Socrates uh, Germany, which is very welcoming. Um, and since Ada is also in Germany, you probably need to do it anyway, right? So. <laughs> I I do know at least one of the devs who I work with who has definitely frequented that um, conference previously. So I probably have an in there if I want it. So good tip. I like that. All right. Um, so how best to contact you both if people want to get in touch? Baron, start with you. Um, either via the riskstormingonline.com website or uh, I'm on Twitter as I love testing, the Isle of testing, not I loving, but that's the word, the word play, right? I'm on Ministry of Testing Slack. I'm on most of the social media stuff. Baron VD, Isle of Testing. Um, you'll find me. If you want to find me, you will. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Ben? Uh, yeah, so um, I I found out uh, recently that I am incredibly easy to find. If you search uh, Google for Ben Doen, I am at least all of the links on the first page, apparently. Yeah. Uh, but the the best way is definitely um, Twitter, Full Snack Tester, the or the Full Snack Tester on Twitter is like primary. Um, hopefully you're already following me. If you're not, get on it. Um, I'm I'm on LinkedIn, Doen B. I the full snack tester.com. I am got tester of the day.com. Yeah, you can find me pretty much anywhere. Um, I'll make sure you get the links for the notes in case I've yeah, added or do. taken away those from any of those because uh, they're easy to get wrong. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, thank you both for joining. I hope you enjoyed our chats um, on the topics. Um, really appreciate you, you spending the time. I guess there's only one thing left to say, given it's December, um, and um, 
this is yeah just before christmas so from me it's a happy holidays happy christmas to everyone that's listening and we wish you all a happy 2022 thank you guys yeah, merry christmas happy holidays cheers and um, uh, if you want to get in touch with the show um there's at test pod on twitter um we have a, a form where you can submit if you want to be a guest for future episodes um or if you want to reach out to me it's at lead test include on twitter or, or find me on linkedin uh, thank you again everyone and thanks guys for joining and we'll speak to you again soon thanks for having us happy holidays yeah thank you very much it's been very fun thank you to the guests and thank you for listening for more information on testphere check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the ministry of testing store music courtesy of zapsflat.com we'll see you for more roulette again soon <laughs>